This morning I titled my message, Working in Perfect Harmony. And my friends, I believe that we, the church, ought to be working in perfect harmony. This message is not for the unbeliever today, it's for the believers. It's for those that call themselves Christians. That we should be working in perfect harmony for His kingdom, for His glory, for His honor. Scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-11. through 11. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What's that insinuate? We're not to behave like mere men, but we're to behave like sons and daughters of God. For one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor is he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Those are my key verses. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You. We thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for the, uh, the privilege to come into Your house to freely worship You. Father, we just pray that Your Spirit would have its own way here. Father God, that You would just speak to our hearts and our minds. And Father, just that we would use what You give us today, Lord, to be faithful to You, to build Your kingdom. Father, may we, the church, operate in perfect harmony, as I believe that we should. For your glory and for your honor, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you saw the connection there, but we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And what's Paul talking about there at the beginning? He says, I planted, Paula's watered. He's talking about planting and watering and tending and harvesting. What do you do in a field? You plant, you water, you harvest, right? But also the connection, he says, I have laid the foundation. And another builds upon that. So there's a connection there with, there's no other foundation that you can lay but Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. I'm going to do something a little different. I have a, a visual for you this morning, I think. Is there anyone on the phone? Phone lines? So there are people on the phones that you're not going to see this and maybe we'll try to describe it. So I want to just take a moment and I want to let David play this. You might even have to lower the light just a little for them to see it. Oh, that's better. 
There we go. And let this play. Let it play for a moment. And those that are listening on the phone, on the video is a massive flock of birds flying in perfect harmony. An amazing, amazing thing to see. I think it only takes about a minute. An amazing image of God's created flying creatures flying in perfect harmony. One morning, it was weeks ago, as I was in prayer, God gave me a vision of a large flock of birds flying in perfect harmony, as in the video you just viewed, or the one I described to you if you're listening on the phone. And there was a word that went along with it. Now, I'm going to back up for just a second. You know, I've seen that in real life. Has anyone seen a large flock of birds flying and, you know, just these amazing acrobatic things that they do and the images it kind of makes? I've seen that. And I couldn't find a flock of birds to come out and demonstrate it live this morning because I'm not the bird whisperer. So that's why we had to have the video. But there was a message that went with it, an inspiring word that went with it. When you see that, there's no apparent leader, is there? There's no leader. There's no one bird that you could pick out of that large flock of birds and say, there it is. There's the leader. There's the one in charge. There's no one leading this amazing display of acrobatics, flying acrobatics. You cannot pinpoint the leader, can you? Now, as you saw them flying there in that video, you see a bird now and again fly into them, they do become part of it, don't they? But you could not pinpoint or pick out a leader. They are all doing just exactly what they were designed, what they were made to do. They were made to fly. And they were made to fly with the ability to fly in perfect harmony. With no concern about who's going to get the credit for leading this amazing thing. Who's going to get the honor? No concern about that at all, is there? They're doing what they was made to do. Friends, is this not a picture of what the way the church ought to function? In perfect harmony, in unison, with no concern about who's going to get the credit? Who's going to get the honor? Paul says, I watered, or I planted, Apollos watered, or vice versa. It doesn't matter is what he's saying. We were made with a purpose, a design. We know that in the beginning that we, mankind, was made to be in perfect harmony with God. We were made to walk with Him. We were made to obey Him, to trust Him, to tend the garden. And it entailed things like described in 1 Corinthians, planting, watering, harvesting. But we know that sin entered in. And that perfect harmony was broken. And man needed a Redeemer, and that Redeemer is Jesus Christ. 
to mend that broken relationship. But we are His church. He is the head of the church and we are to be in perfect harmony and union with Him. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, And He put all things under His feet, and He gave Him to be head over all things, the church, to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all and in all. So, what is the purpose of the church? So first, in order to have an understanding of what the purpose is, to be able to function in harmony, we must have a clear understanding of that purpose. And you know, I believe the Scripture gives us the purpose of the church. We're going to look at a couple. For example, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me meaning Jesus, you shall be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's one of the purposes, isn't it? We are to tell them about Jesus. We're to be witnesses to Him, to the ends of the earth. We're to teach people, tell people, witness that He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. There may be some out there that say there are many roads. My friends, there's one. And that road's name is Jesus. We are to witness that. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. But there's another Scripture. Let's look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So, some may look at that and say, the purpose of the church is to disciple. Well, my friends, how about if I introduce to you a balance of the two? We have to witness, and yes, we have to disciple. What good would it do to go out there and to witness to a thousand and leave? Well, we brought 300 people to the Christ today and just, alright, go enjoy your merry life. You're now a Christian. Welcome to the family. But don't teach them anything? No. We have to have a balance of those two. Yes, to witness to Jesus Christ. To witness of Jesus Christ to the world. And also to disciple them. That is the purpose of the church. That's what the church was designed to do. To go and witness. That's what the Holy Spirit came that the disciples could go and bear witness. Yes, there's many other things that go along with that. Signs and wonders. But most importantly, to witness of Jesus Christ. The witness of the Kingdom of God. To share the good news, the Gospel. Then to train, to disciple others that they too can go out and do the same thing. To build up the church. We have to have that balance to accurately describe the purpose of the church. Ephesians 4, 11-16 says, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. See, that's what it's all for. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, just Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's important stuff in there. That we all do our part, whatever your part may be, whether it's witnessing, whether it's discipling, whatever God has called you to do, because there's prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, whatever it is. But our part is to cause the growth of the body for the edifying of itself. It's not to edify ourselves, but to edify the body, the church. In declaring that the church should function in harmony or unity, whichever you want to call it, does not mean that we must have unity at any cost. You do not seek unity at the expense of truth. I'm glad I got an amen out of that. John's not here because I'm going to share something his relatives shared. Charles Spurgeon. John's related. Distant ancestor of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said this, To remain divided is sinful. Did not our Lord pray that we may be one even as we are one? A chorus of ecumenical voices keep harping the unity tune. What they are saying is Christians of all doctrinal shades and beliefs must come together in one visible organization regardless. Unite, unite. Charles says such teaching is false, reckless, and dangerous. Truth alone must determine our alignment. Truth comes before unity. Unity without truth is hazardous. Our Lord's Prayer in John 17 must be read to its full context. It says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Only those sanctified through the word can be one in Christ. To teach otherwise is to betray the gospel. Those who are sanctified through the word can be one in Christ. That's the harmony we want. The truth and be sanctified in Christ. First Corinthians clearly portrayed the harmony that I'm speaking of this morning. A unity, not a unity at any cost, but one that does not seek its own glory, credit, or honor, but one that truly seeks to esteem others above themselves, to give all the glory and the honor to its rightful owner, which is who? God, Jesus. What does it say? But God. But God gave the increase, right? Not me. Not Paul. Not Apollos. Not you. But God gave the increase. You know, in a natural planting process, that seed is sown into the ground, and it takes root. And yes, we water it. We tend it. We help it to grow. There's one thing that the man who sows that seed knows. He knows that, yes, it's going to sprout, but can he make it grow? Huh. We've planted thousands and thousands of seeds this year. 
But I assure you, we cannot make one of them grow. We cannot make it multiply. We can do things to help it along, but we can't. It's a great mystery of the blessing of God that that seed will sprout and grow. God supplies the increase. He can make that increase 30, 60, or 100 fold. And it's the same thing in the spiritual. It's in the kingdom. We might plant the seed, but God makes it grow. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul did the evangelizing. He preached the message of Christ. Planted the seeds of faith in Christ. Then Paul who comes along after Paul and watered it. What's that? That's the discipleship part. Yes, he watered it. Helped it to grow. To grow in their faith. To gain greater understanding of this newfound faith in Jesus Christ. But remember, Paul also said, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is anything. But again, God gave the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You know, sometimes we just want to focus on that reward, don't we? Oh, that crown that we hope to receive. Let's focus on that reward. I want to focus on the oneness. The oneness of those who are part of Christ's true church. The Greek meaning of one is one. Singular. The church is to be one in Him. It's a clear reference to the one body, which is His church. And I know there's a familiar passage that you've, most of you have probably read many times, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 20. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? <clears throat> but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. One body. You know, you think of that. That some of the analogies they use, the foot, the hand, the smell, the hearing, the seeing. You know, if the foot would say, well, I don't, I'm not a hand. You know, I want to be the hand. Well, how would the hand of the missionary get there to help those if the feet didn't help them get there, right? Help them along, help them to get there. So the feet might be the one that stays home and does the praying and the financial supporting to help that missionary to go. But they're all part of the body working, what? In harmony. Okay, I'm okay if you're the one that gets to go. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're going to plant the seed. I'm helping you get there. Or I might come along and do the discipling, do the teaching. But we're okay. We should be okay with that. If that's what God has called you to do, don't be jealous or envious. That's what it mentioned in the first part, right? There should not be envy, strife, or division. 
But I'm good with whatever God has called you to do, and you should be good with whatever God's called me to do. Working together for the building of the church. You know, there's an expression I know that, well, I'm going to say probably everybody has heard, I don't know, maybe a couple of the young kids have it. That there is no I in team. Okay, has everyone heard that? Everyone nodding their head? Okay, there's no I in team, is there? Because it's spelled T-E-A-M, right? It is often repeated in the workplace and, of course, in sporting activities at all levels, from the professionals clean down to the little guys that they put those pads on and put them out there and slam into one another. You know, there's no I in team, right? The reference, of course, suggests that no one person's abilities or talents or ideas are any more important than the combined skills, talents, efforts, and abilities of the entire group, right? Or team. You know, in the workplace, in the world of work, the purpose of team is to harness the skills of all the individuals to help improve the performance of the whole group, right? So the theory suggests that the team should be collectively more intelligent, better, smarter, than maybe the one. But the team should come together, make better decisions as a group than you would as an individual. Of course, the fear theory, theory, the theory forgets to take into account the nuances of humans being humans. Right? And introducing all the noisy, nasty complexities of ego and bias. Now, if you've worked in the world, you know that there are many different egos and biases that one must work with. I was just sharing with my wife recently about a couple managers that, you know, they're supposed to be working, I'm retired now, but I remember this, supposed to be working together to help the flow of the work at the locomotive shop work well, but they work against one another all the time. I mean, set one another up to fail instead of working together as a team. Why? Because of their egos thinking about themselves, wanting to promote themselves instead of the entire team. In studies of idea generation, teams should, in theory, generate more and better ideas than individuals working on their own. But guess what? The study suggests that those egos and biases and inherent socialization issues often get in the way of achieving this lofty objective. The foremost researcher on workplace teams during the past few years Decades, the late Dr. Richard Hackman offered, I have no suggestion that when you have a, or no question that when you have a team, the possibility exists that it will generate magic. It will produce something extraordinary, but don't count on it. He says, don't count on it. The operative phrase in his quote is, don't count on it. All types of human issues, of course, degrade that performance. Pride, arrogance, Greed, the want to be recognized, and many other self-exalting characteristics keep that team from realizing their full potential. If we, the church, allow our egos, our biases, our arrogance, our pride, our greed, our want to be recognized to get in the way, we will not realize the full potential of the church. 
when those things get in the way, we are hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. When our greed, our egos, our pride, our own loftiness, our want to be recognized gets in the way, we are hindering. It's worth repeating this. We are hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. My friends, don't think that the church doesn't have similar problems. Why do you think the Scriptures has so much to say about humility? We sang the song. Great song for our nation, right? The nation humbles itself. Romans 12, 3-8 says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Again, thinking back to that flock of birds. You couldn't pick out a leader. You couldn't pick out one single bird that I'm the one directing this magnificent acrobatic thing. No. You know, we think of an orchestra. Yeah, you do have a guy up there that you know is leading that, right? You got a guy up there in the front, and he's directing that orchestra, making that beautiful, harmonious sound. And when he's all done, he turned, he's the first one to bow, right? And receive the applause. But then he often goes, give the applause to them. They're the ones that made the beautiful sound, right? So for the church, we can use that orchestra example. Because Christ is the one up there directing it. He is the one to first. He deserves all the glory, all the honor. That orchestra, usually there's not one here that stands up or one's there. The whole orchestra gets the, the applause. My friends, we should not seek the glory and honor, but give it all to Him. All to Him. The church, my friends, most importantly, and if we're going to operate harmoniously, it should be to demonstrate the amazing love of God that is within us. If we have the amazing love of God within us, we're not going to seek to advance ourselves or to esteem ourselves. We're not going to let arrogance or division or envy, or any of those things take hold of us if we have Christ within us and we are working in harmony for His glory and honor. We're letting that sink in, ain't we? Perfect harmony is a way that we, the church of Jesus Christ, ought and should be functioning today. Imagine how much more powerful the church would be 
we just allow that spirit to move and work freely. And just, Lord, take anything out, you know, the song we sang. Give it all. Give it all to Him. Take anything away, Lord, that's going to hinder me from walking faithfully to You. That should be our prayer for each and every one of us. As we were talking this afternoon, there's, is there things in our lives that we need to get rid of? Is there idols that we've placed in our lives? or Any of these things, we need to get rid of them. Let it all be about Him. Amen?